Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hello, hello, and happy new year, everyone. It feels good to be back in the host chair after a couple of restful weeks away. Not long ago, we sent out a monthly Bay Curious newsletter on the topic of bridge tolls, answering some of your questions about how the money is used. A guy named Mike Robbins wrote us back, saying he was more than $15,000 in debt because of those bridge tolls. $15,000? I thought, how could that be? I forwarded his email to KQED's transit editor, Dan Brecky, and asked him to look into it. What he found, frankly, shocked us. Mike's story was not at all unique. Today on Bay Curious, we investigate how unpaid tolls could snowball into a mountain of debt and what's been done to help folks out. I'm Olivia Allen-Price. This is Bay Curious. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. When the coronavirus pandemic hit, Caltrans pulled all the toll takers off the bridges. You can't hand cash over and keep six feet of distance after all, so there were some real safety concerns. Practically overnight, toll collection changed. Now, if you use FastTrack, that's the electronic system that works via a toll tag in your car, this probably wasn't a big deal. You may not have even noticed. But if you paid your tolls in cash, this was a huge change. Now, instead of handing over your cash and being done with it, you are getting an invoice in the mail for every single bridge crossing you made. So initially, if you made, say, five crossings in a week, five notices would arrive at your door. 
And like Mike Robbins, the guy who tipped us off about all this found, if you missed those notices, it didn't take long for a bunch of tolls to turn into thousands of dollars in debt. I don't, I'm not trying to skirt the payments. I'm, I'm not intentionally like trying to get away with using the bridge for free. So I offered to pay the tolls at the face value and they didn't accept that. Here to help us make sense of all this is Dan Brecky. He is KQED's transportation and infrastructure editor and reporter. Hey, Dan. Hey, Olivia. So what did you make when you first heard about the kind of debt that Mike Robbins was facing? I thought, here's somebody who did something massively wrong, you know, was driving across a bridge for two years or something and never paid. But it turned out that it's much easier to rack up a huge toll debt than I ever imagined. I talked to Kelly Cadwallader. Uh, she lives over in Alameda. Uh, she's a single mom. And she fell back on working for Uber and Lyft during the pandemic to make ends meet. They're saying that I owe them $31,000 right now. What am I going to do? I'm going to I'm gonna be forced into bankruptcy. I'm driving a car that can be taken away from me at any time. It's a 2015 Honda Civic that I have two more payments on. So I don't even own the car outright. At any moment, at any time now, I could be pulled over and that car can just be taken away from me and it'll be gone. I also talked to Paul Briley. He's 29. He lives in Richmond. He's an activist who works on behalf of the human and civil rights of uh, incarcerated people. He drives back and forth across the bridge, mainly to take care of errands for his grandmother. This was something I wasn't worried about before the pandemic. I pay my bills. I mean, if somebody was there, I would have paid. It's not like I'm trying to get over. It's not like I was trying to beat the system. It's just, you know, with the adjustments that everybody has to make, everybody hasn't transitioned into whatever system they're trying to proselytize us into. You know, there are a lot of people out there, it turns out. We don't know how many, but it could be in the thousands, who have been facing giant toll debt like this. How are these people raking up thousands of dollars in debt? Are they, you know, crossing hundreds of times without paying? It turns out that the way the toll penalty system has been set up in the past escalated the fines very steeply and relatively quickly. What would happen is you drive through the Bay Bridge toll plaza. You have a $6 toll charge. And let's say you're not set up to pay that automatically through Fast Track or a license plate account. An invoice, essentially, is going to be generated and mailed to you. It's going to go to your last registered address. You may see that invoice or you may not. But regardless, if you don't pay within a couple weeks, you're going to pay another $25 on top of that. That's a late charge. So your toll bill has gone from $6 to $31. If you don't get around to paying that and let it go for a couple of months, you're going to get hit with another $45 charge. So now your $6 toll trip has grown to $76. That's more than 12 times your original toll. And so if you work out the math, it would take 14 trips to get up to $1,000 in debt. And if you don't get around to paying that, then you're account might be sent to the DMV to block your registration, and then you're going to be in a world of hurt because you may lose the use of your car or may have to drive it illegally. 
And I think it's important to know that these notices are linked to where you have your car registered through the DMV. So say you moved, you forgot to update your registration, there's a chance you're not really even getting these notices. Yes, that would be one scenario. And it appears that a lot of people believe that if you go to the DMV and change your driver's license address, that that also takes care of your vehicle. But that's not the case. There's an urban planning and research organization in San Francisco called SPUR, and they've looked into how these fines work and who they're impacting the most. Dan, what have they found? When they looked into it, the main thing that they found was, one, the system isn't very effective in terms of getting payment. A huge proportion of the violation notices that get sent out are simply not paid. Jacob Denny is the economic justice director for SPUR. A larger share of people were paying their tolls at their first and second notice when they didn't come with punitive fines and fees, which tells us that there's a certain population that just needs to be further nudged. They don't need to be punished. They probably just need to be given more time. The other thing was that this system of extreme toll penalties seem to be falling disproportionately on lower-income people. They looked at zip codes that had the most violations. And there were places like parts of East Oakland, uh, Bayview-Hunters Point in San Francisco, in Richmond, for instance, where they seemed to be getting an outsized number of uh, toll violations. And look, where I'm coming from, I'm an affluent person. I've got fast track. I've got a steady income and everything is tied to my bank account. And I never even think about it when I cross a bridge. I know that my toll is being paid. But many people in these communities don't have access to any of that. They don't have access to the steady income to the banking facilities. Many people are unbanked. They don't have credit cards or find it very difficult to get credit cards. And so they're essentially shut out of the easiest way of going about this this system of payment. These folks who are studying economic justice questions say it's worth noting that largely this problem of unpaid tolls is impacting essential workers who really have to cross the bridge and probably are in a more vulnerable place in terms of their income. Well, and this has to be a huge issue for obviously the different programs that are reliant on toll money. I mean, that money is is important for a lot of things we have going on. That's right. Our tolls pay for maintaining and modernizing the bridges we have. And then Bay Area voters have uh, agreed to spend toll money on a whole range of transportation projects. And so the revenue that comes from tolls is really important. Now, there has been some relief since you first started reporting the story. The Metropolitan Transportation Commission, or MTC, they heard from people about the issue of toll debt, and some people within that group have pushed for change. Among them, Nick Josefowitz. You know, government agencies shouldn't be driving people into poverty um, because of mistakes they made, especially mistakes that are so small, like forgetting to pay a toll or not updating their address at the DMV. Dan, what changes have been made? 
So what they've come up with is a plan that over time will make it easier for people to pay. But it started out with a dramatic reduction in total penalties. So instead of having a $70 maximum penalty, you know, starting with $25 and then having another $45 added on, they've reduced that to your first notice is a $5 extra charge. And then if you don't get around to paying that, then it will have another $10 tacked on. So it's a $15 penalty instead of a $70 penalty. That's a, a vast improvement. And the MTC did agree to make the changes to those penalties retroactive through January of 2020. So people who may have already paid the penalties will get a refund. And if they hadn't gotten around to paying them or if somebody simply couldn't pay them, they would see a much reduced total bill. But Dan, a lot of advocates are saying that these changes don't go far enough. What other changes are they hoping to see? Jacob Denny from Spur has a number of ideas on how to make the system work better for people. Chief on that list for me is establishing a payment plan for people for both unpaid fines and unpaid tolls. So people can pay over time what they owe in a way that's realistic for them. The other thing is the notification system. Simple things like setting up uh, text notifications, email notifications, maybe um, notifications by app. There's evidence that people will pay if they don't have the draconian penalties facing them. Now, Mike Robbins, he's the Bay Curious listener who we heard from at the beginning of this episode and the person who kind of brought this issue to my attention. His toll debt is on the Golden Gate Bridge. So unfortunately, he's not going to benefit from this retroactive decision that the MTC has made. What is the Golden Gate Bridge looking at doing? Because they're kind of operating separately. The Golden Gate Bridge District is starting to look at this. They haven't decided what to do. The reason that they're sort of connected to this whole issue is that they use fast track too. Um, and the same system of penalties that has been in place uh, on the state-owned bridges, the you know, the $70 penalty on top of whatever toll you owe is still enforced there. All right. Well, Dan Brecky, thanks so much for stopping by. You're welcome. Special thanks to Mike Robbins, the Bay Curious newsletter reader who put the story on our radar. It's a new year, and for a lot of people, a time to set new habits. Why not help one of your friends make podcasting one of those new habits? Bay Curious needs to grow our listenership in 2022, and we could really use your help getting there. If you've got a favorite episode, would you please share it with a friend? If they're into podcasting already, just send them the link or tell them about us. But if they're not into podcasting, maybe sit them down, show them the ropes, show them how it all works. We would so, so appreciate it. Bay Curious is made by Katrina Schwartz, Sebastian Mignobuccelli, Brendan Willard, and me, Olivia Allen Price. We're a production of member-supported KQED in San Francisco. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? 
Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.